0: Please be seated. Good evening to you. Habakkuk and the Minor Prophets this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. It was just a kind of a, I was sensing a, just an extraordinary peace here tonight and i I was just wondering, why in the world? And then it dawned on me, all the Rams fans are home. (laughs) I mean, did you feel it too? Was a Niner, a Raider fan? I'll tell you, I'm just kidding. Uh, In the book of Habakkuk, and you can call it Habakkuk, or you can call it Habakkuk, either one of the pronunciations is kosher, Um, but we have a very, very godly man who finds himself in a, um, if not a crisis of faith, and if not a crisis of doubt, at the very least he finds himself uh, confused. And he finds himself confused over the dealings of God with the people of the world both the children of israel and then also uh, the gentile nations and, I, and it really is a crisis of faith because uh, the just shall walk by their faith is one of the answers that god gives him uh, to um, him in this but he's really confused by uh, and and so often a crisis of faith is not a lack of faith in god so often we can think of it only in in that dimension uh, that a crisis is, of faith is, I'm in the middle of a circumstance that dem- demands more faith than I have, thus I have a crisis of faith. But there's a crisis of faith on the other end of the spectrum, and that is a crisis of faith can come out of the fact that we believe God. We believe Him for all of His power, all of His wisdom, all of His love, all of these things, and we know Him well enough that we know that He could change anything in the world, any situation in our life, any situation in the world, in an instant. And, and then when he doesn't do that, based upon what we know he could do, easily it creates a crisis of faith for us. But it's not unbelief, it's confusion that's there. And that's what he finds himself in the middle of. In chapter 1, verse 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk uh, saw. And so Habakkuk ministers to the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. He doesn't really, uh, the Holy Spirit really doesn't help us to date the time of his ministry because Habakkuk doesn't mention a king. But we can kind of gauge a little bit where in in the whole history of of Judah that this prophecy comes in. We know that Assyria uh, is no longer the world ruling empire. And in fact, Assyria had some years earlier already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel by the time Habakkuk comes on the scene. And the reason that we know that is that the Babylonians and the Babylonian empire is in full bloom by the time he he prophesies here. Also, the deplorable spiritual condition of the southern kingdom of Judah indicates That this prophecy must have been given uh, after the reign of the very godly king by the name of Josiah. There was a great revival that broke out in the southern kingdom of Judah under the oversight of the godly king Josiah. But it was a surface revival. It was the people of Judah deciding, okay... Uh, A godly man is in power right now, so in order to get ahead, we're going to have to pretend that uh, we care about God as much as he does. And uh, and then the moment that Josiah dies, of course, that kind of a revival is gone uh, instantaneously. The same kind of thing you can see in an individual person's life, where they will walk with the Lord as long as there's a certain person in their life. And the moment that person is gone, then... Uh, any uh, desire for God or walking with God in- instantly dissipates. And that's why it's important for uh, to allow godly people to influence us but never to give them such influence that if something happened to them I'd be stumbled in my own walk with the Lord. And, and so probably uh, these events happen after Josiah, soon after Josiah's reign and if that's the case then uh, Habakkuk ministered during the time of the prophet uh, Jeremiah in the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. And you might remember that uh, uh, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and uh, he was forced to watch the needless death of a nation, the southern kingdom of Judah, go into captivity to the Babylonians and uh, at, at just because it refused to turn from its sin. And that's one of the hardest things for a righteous person uh, to deal with, and that is to watch the needless destruction uh, of a nation because of its refusal to, uh, even for its own survival, uh, give up the sin that it's become addicted to, and so Habakkuk is ministering at about this uh, same uh, time, uh, which would mean that Daniel was uh, ministering uh, in in Babylon uh, at that uh, well, not quite a, 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 at that particular point in time just uh, just yet. So this is what he's in the the middle of. Now, Habakkuk uh, begins with his complaints, and it's a series of two complaints that he brings against God, and uh, God's answer to those complaints. And he begins the complaint in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? Uh, Even cry out to you violence and you do not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. He's listening to, the, listening to the sins that dominate the southern kingdom of Judah. God's people at that time. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the right, uh, the wicked surround the righteous and therefore perverse judgment uh, proceeds. And so Habakkuk's complaint to the God is why he's allowing the southern kingdom of Judah, to fall into this debauched uh, condition without doing something about it. Why don't you give him a whooping? Why why does Judah go uh, unpunished? And so he felt like God wasn't listening uh, to his prayers, and that as much as he prayed, Judah got worse and worse. So we see immediately that he's praying to God. So he's he's a man uh, that is invested in the situation uh, that is a source of confusion for him. He's not the child of God that sits in front of a television set and yells at it over the condition of the world, but never prays over what it is, the the deterioration. Uh, This is someone who is way, way beyond that. And the revelation that's given to him here, I think, is a revelation for someone who cares enough about these things to be praying about these things. But it is frustrating to pray about the decline of a nation and its godliness, especially the southern kingdom of Judah, was so much attached to it, in terms of the promises of God for mankind. Remember, Messiah hasn't been born yet. Jesus hasn't been born yet. They're playing with fire, uh, the Savior of the world, coming through their, their bloodline. And, uh, and so here he is, he, he prays and prays, and it looks like God isn't uh, doing uh, anything. And then he, uh, in verse 3, he basically complains that he didn't want God to show him any more wickedness if he wasn't going to do something uh, about it. Apparently God was making him supernaturally conscious of the wicked condition of, of the southern kingdom uh, of, of Judah. And, uh, and Habakkuk says in essence, if, if you don't listen to my prayers, if you don't answer my prayers, uh, you show me the sins of, of my people and your people and yet you don't do anything and you you need to either stop showing me the sins of these people or do something but i can't live in this kind of this uh middle ground uh, of things and if you're not going to do something then don't show me this sin uh anymore and so he understands god to be to be righteous he understands god to be true and uh, yet, things continue to uh, uh, devolve. And so here he is; he's lifting this up to the Lord, and he lists the prayer, uh, the 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 uh, sins of the Southern Kingdom of Judah uh, to the Lord. There in verse three, and he mentions their plundering, uh, theft, and looting has become uh, commonplace. He mentions violence in verse three; so crime and violence against other people is exploding. He mentions uh, strife, the ill treatment, the, the coarse treatment of individual human beings toward other human beings, contention. You know, the culture is, is on edge. It's a culture that is, is fighting uh, uh, with one another. And then he says in verse 4 that the law is powerless. In other words, he says, he says nobody gives the law of Moses any weight or any power uh, any longer. Uh, And here there are no absolutes concerning right and wrong. Nobody enforces the law anymore. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say uh, that justice, and the idea is God's justice, never goes forth. And in essence, what he's saying here is the court system never tries these people for their crimes, never gets them off of the streets. And they commit their crimes and there are no real consequences to it. The charges are just dropped. They're released with virtually no bail. And, and there's no active deterrent uh, to crime in the justice system. And he goes on further than that. He says the wicked surround the righteous. We're completely outnumbered, uh, Lord. They're winning, and and they are the wicked are putting the pressure on uh, the righteous rather than it being the other way around. The criminals seem to have all of the rights, not the victims. Everyone seems to be more concerned about the criminals instead of the law abiding uh, citizens in in the policies of the nation. There's a complete breakdown in law in in order. I know none of us have ever felt any of these things that, um, that Habakkuk is describing here. He then goes on uh, even further and he says in verse 4 that perverse judgment uh, proceeds. And because of bribes and because uh, of, of the, the control of the court system by the wicked, uh, he said the courts have now become more dangerous for the righteous uh, Than they are for the wicked or for the criminals, and so here Habakkuk was in what is a very very difficult, very confusing, very frustrating situation for a righteous person. And again, this is not a carnal rant on the part of, of Habakkuk. He is just talking with God about these things. He is praying. He is trying to understand and to process it with with God. God's answer begins in verse 5 and and, uh, to this complaint. Why don't you do anything? Why does Judah go unpunished? And the Lord said to Habakkuk, Look among the nations and watch, and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days, you're going to see it, which you would not believe, though uh, though it were told you, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. So you think that I'm not dealing with, with Judah properly? I'm not punishing their sins properly? I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it in your days. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, the Chalde- Chaldeans, uh, down upon Judah as a, as a chastening uh, mechanism in my hand. In, in order to bring an end uh, to their sin. And then he describes the Chaldeans as a bitter and hasty uh, nation. And so they were uh, very fierce, very impulsive uh, people, very unpredictable and, and, uh, and, and violent. And, and he says that they, they marched through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs the entire reign of the first king of the Babylonian empire, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he gave his entire reign to the conquest of the world. And uh, anything they wanted on the map, they went and they took. And uh, so here talking about uh, 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 the, the Babylonians and and the extent uh, of their reach they'd already invaded and conquered a large part uh, of the world and uh, they are terrible and dreadful their judgment and their dignity uh, proceed from uh, themselves and so their judgment and their, their dignity here talking about that they're they're awe-inspiring to behold when they showed up in their army with all of their armaments and all of these, these kind of things, uh, they provoked a, a sense of dread, a sense of doom in anyone that was trying to uh, with, withstand them. And whenever, uh, wherever they marched, they imposed their laws upon uh, whatever nation they took over. He describes their horses, he describes their chariots, their weaponry in verse 8. Their horses are also are swifter than uh, leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. And you can see these horses that would go right into battle. I mean, they're swifter than leopards and there's absolutely no fear. Uh, they're hungry for the battle. They're eager to get into the midst of the, uh, the battle. Uh, even the horses that they rode, uh, their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. Uh, they fly as an eagle that hastens to eat. And so the great distances that Babylon uh, went in conquering what was the known world in the Middle East at uh, at that uh, at that time. And so the uh, the the description of of the military, and they all come. Uh, for violence as he furthers uh, the description. They, they don't come for peace. By the time they're on your border and looking to get in, uh, they're not looking for a peace treaty. They're looking for violence and conquest. Their face, uh, uh, faces are set like the east wind and, uh, and, and just set in, in place. They gather captives like uh, the sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned uh, by them. They have no respect for the leadership or the the defense of any nation that they uh, come up against. There's no self doubt in them as they conquered uh, the world. They never even entered a, 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 a doubt in their mind that they would conquer any nation that they desired to. Uh, conquer and they deride, they make fun of every stronghold uh, that these nations uh, put up against the, the Babylonians in order to defend their territory and their cities. Far from being intimidated by it, uh, they laughed at it and they heap up earthen mounds and they seize it. And so uh, great um, uh, uh, conquerors and the use of siege mounds to, to conquer cities. And then his mind changes, and he transgresses, he commits offense, ascribing this power uh, to uh, their God. And so he, the, he, the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, just move from uh, one conquest after another. No, no sooner defeats one nation, and they're already thinking about the next nation they're going to take. And as they do that, they ascribe their victories, not to the God of the Bible, but to their uh, own idolatry. And so, Habakkuk asks the question, Why don't you deal with the sins of Judah? And God's answer to that is, I am. And I'm going to chasten them by means of the Chaldeans. That then raised a second question, in uh, Habakkuk's mind and the question is basically this before we get into it the question is how can you judge a more righteous nation by a nation that is less righteous than them how can you do that being holy and being righteous as you are and that's the question that that Habakkuk asks he says uh, and he, and he's, he, want, he, he wants to continue the discussion with God that he's having here. Again, this is prayer that's going. God is, God is not afraid of any honest question that is brought to him. Now, he will bring an end to this conversation uh, with Habakkuk, because there's a point in these conversations where, in any kind of conversation he has with us in prayer, where uh, there's a point at which he explains to us what we can know, and what we need to know about the situation. And once we know that, then he breaks off the conversation, and now we have to have faith in who he is to then do the right thing beyond that. And and, uh, I'm convinced as we look at this Bible that's in front of us, and we spend our lives uh, studying, that it's absolutely perfect in terms of what we need to know. It doesn't always contain what we want to know. I want him to spell out things, you know, step 3, 4, and 5 after steps 1 and 2 as he's describing something, and, but he, he stops it at two in terms of the revelation. And I always look at it and say uh, to myself, that's as much as we can handle. If he told us more, it wouldn't be good for us. If he told us more, we would just muddy things. And so it is just perfection. And even in our prayers with the Lord, uh, he can bring them uh, to uh, the conversation in terms of revealing more to us, bring them to a halt when, the, when that's all that we need to know about him and his ways in the middle of the circumstance that we find ourselves uh, in. And so Habakkuk here, in this conversation, he is very respectful toward God. He loves God. It's not up front, it's not something that he's trying to do, but he's genuinely confused. He says to God, are you not from everlasting? He's going to remind God of some of his characteristics. Uh, Remember, you're eternal. And, uh, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. He reminds God of His eternalness. He reminds God of His holiness because he's setting the stage to ask his second question, and and it's confusing to the holiness of Habakkuk that God would use a more wicked nation to judge a more righteous nation. But the reason that he does that here, and I, well, I won't say definitively that it is, but it's certainly a, a part of that, is that the Babylonians, I mean, there was no, no real moral equivalency between the people of Judah and what they were practicing uh, as debased as it was uh, in terms of compared to what the Babylonians were doing. Uh, It it would be like comparing the United States to communist China uh, presently. Uh, People try to do that. There's no moral equivalence there. We had opportunities to conquer the world and colonialize the entire world or vast portions of it and never had any interest in doing that as Americans or as a nation. And are we filled with sin? Absolutely filled uh, with sin. But people have freedoms and freedoms to seek God and to worship God. So there's no moral equivalency here. And, And so he's confused. How can a holy God... Use some, some, a group of people that are more unrighteous to uh, judge a, a more righteous people. And, and what confuses us on this, uh, Jesus spoke to it, and that is, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, the Babylonians sinned against pitch black spiritual darkness in terms of their idolatry and their understanding of god his word his ways they had no bible they had no law they had no uh, prophets they could have known it they could have uh, become proselytes and in, in in jews in that way but they had no godly heritage like the people of judah did and so the people of judah though committing less sin uh, it was a greater sin because they claim to represent the God of the Bible in that moment in human history, and the Babylonians never did. So there's a sense in which their sin of misrepresenting God and His Word uh, was greater than what the Babylonians were, were doing. But he reminds God, you're the Holy One, I don't. how do you do this? And then, then he says, we shall not die. He just comes out and says... Um, We're not going to get hammered this way, Uh, and and, and, uh, and, and we shall not die. Now, and I think when when he says, we shall not die, it isn't like, uh, no, I know you told me that, God, but you're wrong and I'm right. That's that's not where he's coming from. Um, He knows, as we mentioned earlier, that there is a whole world of biblical prophecy that has to yet be fulfilled, that hasn't been fulfilled at this point in in Jewish history. And again, it's the pinnacle of biblical prophecy, the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So he knows that uh, Judah can't be wiped out. They can't afford to be wiped out. And when God describes the Babylonians, and and he hardly needed to describe it, they were well known in the ancient world. They just went in and destroyed people. Uh, and, and then they uh, would take people from their land, out of their land, bring in other people into the land. And when when uh, Habakkuk looks at what God has said he's going to do, all he can see is the end of the Jewish people. And, and yet he knows that can't happen uh, because of of what God says he's going to do in human history through the Jewish people. And so he said, O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, uh, you have marked them for uh, correction. And you are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Now this, isn't, this is not the idea that God does not wit- witness wickedness in the world. The idea is that he can't look on it with approval. And, and so he's talking about, you see the evil and the wickedness of Babylon. You, how can you use them against uh, the children of Judah and not have it be viewed as an approval on your part of their practices? And why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue uh, when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And in a nutshell, what he's saying is, God, we are terrible in Judah, but Babylon is way worse than we are. So I don't get how you do this and maintain your reputation for being eternal and reputation for being uh, holy and and not someone who rewards uh, evil, and so he lays out uh, l- uh, lays out his second question uh, to the Lord, and then uh, and and then he reminds the Lord of of Babylon's brutality. Why do you make men like fish of the sea? And he likens the Babylonians to a a fisherman and the whole uh, machinery of of catching fish and and gutting them and the whole thing, like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take all of them up with a hook. They catch them in the net. They gather them in their dragnet and therefore they rejoice and are glad. And therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? God, don't you realize that if you use the Babylonians in this way against the southern kingdom uh, of Judah, they're not going to give you any credit for it. They're going to give their gods the credit for it. And so it, it's, it's going to be confusing to the children of Israel. It's going to be confusing to the people of, of Babylon. And so th- here he is. I mean, he's very confused about what is going on. Now, you've got to like this guy, and, and it will be wonderful to meet all of these people uh, one day. And then Habakkuk, he lays out his, his second um, uh, kind of complaint and question and then he says, I will stand my watch and set myself uh, on the rampart, the watchtower on the wall, and watch to see what he will say to me. So he stops talking. He, is, he has uttered his second complaint or second confusion to God. And uh, he says, I'm going to go up on the rampart. And to go up on the rampart is, is a, a picture of being expectant for the approach of of an answer. Uh, You're wanting to see the horsemen come with the answer uh, long before they get to the gate and and then (laughs) wonderfully he says, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. So he knows that everything that he has taken to its logical conclusion in his complaints to God, he knows he's wrong He knows he's come to wrong conclusions. And he not only knows that he's wrong, but he knows he's in need of correction. And he's eager for the correction in continuing the conversation here uh, 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 with uh, with God. And so uh, he uh, poses that question uh, to the Lord. And the Lord then answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, uh, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries uh, or seems to delay, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So he says to uh, Habakkuk, what I have told you about using the Babylonians as an instrument of my chastisement related to the southern kingdom of Judah, that's going to happen. And so I want you to write it on clay, I want you to write it on stone, I want you to write it on something that's going to last a long time and that messengers can take and put under their arm and run from city to city and let the cities know that this is exactly what is going to happen. This, uh, this, is, this is a sure thing uh, that, that is going to occur. And so he, he stands behind his word. You haven't misunderstood me, Habakkuk. This is exactly what I'm going to do. You can write it in stone. And then in verse 4, uh, the Lord describes two, um, uh, two uh, responses to the vision uh, that that he has given to Habakkuk. He said, Behold the proud. Uh, he said, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so the proud, God said, in, in terms of this vision, they will reject it, and they will reject it because they're not upright. And, and, but the just uh, they will live by their faith. In other words, the message wouldn't be uh, totally fulfilled immediately, but the righteous would trust in the fact that it would be uh, fulfilled and wait in faith until uh, it's, it's fulfillment. And so they're going to treat God's Word as a fact, even though it hasn't come uh, to, uh, to, uh, fr- to fulfillment uh, in, in human history or in, in our lives. And, of course, that's what um, the, the, how we deal with faith today on an individual basis. We see a promise of God in His Word. We don't yet see the fulfillment of that promise in the individual circumstance within our life. And so faith looks at it. And it looks at it and, and, and uh, declares that this is the truth, this will be the ultimate truth about my situation, whatever it looks like now. And of course, Jesus, his, his equivalency to uh, write the vision on tablets of stone and so forth is, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The promises are always going to come uh, to, to pass. And then the Lord begins to list the sins uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Babylon. And he's, in, in, in this he's letting Habakkuk know, uh, listen, uh, you don't need to educate me on Babylon. I know what Babylon is. I know the instrument I'm using to chasten my people. And he said, Indeed, because he transgresses by, um, by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be uh, satisfied. So just talking, God is condemning the greed and the aggression of the Babylonian uh, empire. Just a, a, an insatiable appetite for conquest. Well. Uh, Uh, and and he heaps up uh, for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him, saying, woe to him who increases. What is not his how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Uh, Will they not uh, awaken who... Uh, oppress you and you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who uh, dwell in it. And so God lets Habakkuk know I'm going to use them as an instrument of my judgment not because they're righteous And and then when I'm done using them, I will then judge them. Uh, It's like Habakkuk, nobody's getting away with anything here. Not my people, not the Babylonians, nobody is. I know what I'm doing in in all of this. I will not only judge Judah, but I will then judge Babylon uh, for their wickedness as well. "'Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house.'" So he, he begins to condemn them for their covetousness and their uh, exploitation of others. "'That he may set his nest uh, on high, "'that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. "'You give shameful counsel to your house, "'cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul.'" For the stone will cry from the wall, and the beam from the timbers uh, will answer it. Then he goes on to condemn them for their violence. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city uh, by iniquity. And so the conquest uh, by means of violence. And, and you look at it historically, it is, it is always uh, um, madness for any kingdom, any empire, any nation uh, to advance itself on the basis of uh, violence. Uh, Because once you do that and you take over a nation by violence, uh, rather than them wanting to become a part of what you are, then it takes violence in order to hold them in line. And no nation can do that indefinitely to uh, another nation. Ultimately, the original nation begins to weaken in its power, weaken in its resources, and it has to give up uh, that, that people or that nation again. And so it works on the short term, but never on, on the long term. And it is interesting uh, that, that the Lord uh, looks at uh, uh, Babylon, and He takes note of their foreign policy. A- and it's a wise nation that understands that that God uh, takes note of how they treat their fellow nations, and uh, they weren't treating their fellow nations uh, very well at all. Behold, is it not the Lord of hosts uh, that the people labor to feed the fire, and the nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so they built their empire with slave labor. Again, that is a, you can do that for a while. Some kingdoms have done it for a long while. But you can't do that uh, indefinitely because freedom is too ingrained uh, in, in people. And again, once again you weaken and, and then you can't hold on to it. And so, uh, in terms of a contrast between the instability of building a kingdom on the basis of violence, God takes and speaks about His kingdom in verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But that's an entirely different kingdom. That's a kingdom built upon uh, love. That's a kingdom, and citizens of the kingdom become a part of that because of the goodness, the benevolence, uh, of the king, the desire to be a part of that kingdom, so he contrasts the uh, the, the uh, kingdoms of this world with his own kingdom. He says, woe to him as he condemns the, the, uh, the corruption, the debauchery, and, and the influence for corruption that Babylon was upon the surrounding nations, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. And this, of course, is like one of the worst things that you could ever do, and that is getting someone drunk so you can take advantage of them sexually, and, that's, and, and, and that's, uh, that's how God looked at what they were doing, and no doubt very much happening is something that people didn't blink at uh, in, in, uh, 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 under the idolatrous system of, of the Babylonians. You are filled with shame, your practices, instead of glory. You also drink and, uh, and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be on your glory for the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of beasts which make them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. So again, Habakkuk, uh, uh, the Babylonians are not getting away with anything. I'm going to judge them as well. Then he goes on with a, 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 the condemning uh, them for their idolatry. What prophet is the image uh, that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, the maker that the maker of its mold should trust in it. We should never trust in anything. Uh, that we can make, because if we can make it, it's less than us and not worthy of being our God. And, and yet, uh, uh, the clarity of that thinking was uh, absent in, 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 uh, not only in ancient human history, but uh, even today. Woe to him who says to wood, awake. And just try that sometime. Go to a wooden bench in your house or maybe the dining room chair. Awake! I need wisdom. Tell me what I need to know. See what kind of wisdom you get. Or to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Invite the whole family over and the neighbors. And uh, I've got a stone on my dining room table, and I'm going to call on it to rise and teach. Well, it would be a folly. We'd be embarrassed over that. God's saying they should be embarrassed over what they chose to worship in life that couldn't speak to them. Behold, you can overlay it with gold, you can overlay it with silver, and yet your idols have a significant problem. They have no breath in them. They're not real. Uh, They're not alive. They can't talk. They can't do all of the things that you want them to do. And then again here, he contrasts himself uh, with the idolatry of the Babylonians. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence uh, before him. And so uh, he uh, uh, brings that contrast to bear Uh, concerning Him Himself. And when He says, He's in His holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before Him, uh, and the whole idea is that He rules over all from that temple and uh, and, and then uh, let all the earth keep silent or hushed before Him. Uh, He's in essence saying, now no more questions. That's as far as I'm going to explain what I'm doing with Judah, and what I'm doing with the Babylonians. And so I've explained as much as you can know, uh, as much as is best for you to know, and I bring the conversation now uh, to an end. And from here, having answered your two questions, from here I've shown that I'm worthy of your faith related to what you don't know in the circumstance. And then the prophet Habakkuk, uh, his response comes in the form of a prayer to the Lord as the Lord ends the conversation. And he says the prayer of Habakkuk, uh, the prophet on uh, uh, Signioth. And Signioth is apparently it's a, a prayer that uh, would be designed to be sung in the temple by the Levitical uh, singers, and, uh, and a song specifically that would be sung with great uh, emotion. And so now, here Habakkuk, he, uh, chapter 3 here, is a part of uh, the answers uh, uh, to the questions the prophet asked in, in chapter 1, why does God allow the wicked to go uh, un, unpunished? And, and uh, God says, nobody's getting away with anything here. And now he answers not with protests, not with more questions. He knows that door's closed. And, and now he continues with prayer. And he says, oh Lord, I have heard your speech. I listened carefully to what it is to, 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 that you have answered me. Thank you for what you have revealed to me and was afraid and now O Lord revive your work in the midst of years and so he says I've heard what you've had to say it has made me afraid I recognize it what is about to happen to the southern kingdom of Judah is is a fearsome thing but despite the fact that I don't understand everything that is happening here despite all of the hardship that I know is going to unfold In light of what it is that you have said, you do what you know to be right and to be best. And now he simply trusts in God and in God's uh, goodness and God's love and God's strength and His power to do what is right in the situation. He submits to uh, God's plan in a beautiful way. Lord, Lord, Go do what it is that you need to do because you're the only one that can do it and you're the only one that knows what you're doing in this world. And in the midst of the years, he said, uh, make it known. And and then he says, in wrath, remember uh, mercy. So he gets very clearly what it is that God has said to him. It's one thing to, to read about Um, the Babylonian military uh, in all of its might and all of its aggression and all of its violence when you have an ocean on your west coast and you have an ocean on your east coast and you have Mexico to the south and Canada to the north friendly nations It's another thing when you are in Judah and you've been told that Judah is one day going to be on the lunch menu of Babylon. And you understand how uh, uh, fearsome that is going to be when these things are no longer promises or words, but they become a reality. And so he says to God, he says, I know you're going to pour out your wrath, and it's righteous, but in the midst of it, remember mercy. As if God needed to remember mercy. So I don't think it's that, that God needed to hear Habakkuk tell him to remember mercy as much as Habakkuk needed uh, to say it to God. Uh, you ever pray for loved ones in your life, and family, and and friends and you look at the situation that they've gotten themselves into and you know, you know where it goes. You know where it leads. You know what they uh, Find themselves in the middle of the nightmare of it, the the awfulness of it, and you know that the solution for them is to turn back to God, like Judah, to turn turn to God or to turn back to God, uh, in order for things to be made right. And when you when you look at uh, the judgment that is coming, the consequences that are coming, uh, you, I find myself crying out to God, God. Do what you got to do to win in their life. Um, But be as merciful as you can like you were with me. Uh, Let it be as easy as it can possibly be for that to happen. But make sure it happens. And that's a hard place for a person to be in. And and it's a real prayer. And Habakkuk, that's the prayer that Habakkuk cries out. Uh, Anybody that is wringing their hands as a christian and they can't wait for the great tribulation and the seals to be start broken upon this uh, world that is living in rebellion to god uh they don't have the heart of habakkuk i mean when you read revelation chapter 6 through 19 i, I mean nobody nobody can be eager that those things would happen Uh, just on their own except for the fact that they produce a result that can't be produced any other way in human history and in in God's plan. And so here he is, uh, this conflict that that he's in the middle of, do it, Lord, but be as merciful uh, as you you can. And then uh, Habakkuk does something that's beautiful. He begins to remember all of the times that God had been faithful thus far in the history of the nation of Israel and of course one of the the uh, most important things that we can do when we're faced with something that is hard and difficult in in our life And we know that God has to do it. We're not fighting with Him anymore about it. It has to be done. But it's going to get very, very uh, messy in order for that that to take place is to stop and to go back through my history and remember how faithful He has always uh, been. And that's exactly what He does. And He begins by uh, recounting uh, God's punishment of israel's enemies in the past and and specifically here beginning in verse 3 when uh, from the journey from sinai under moses uh, to the border of the promised land god came from tamen the holy one from mount paran and his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise his brightness was like the light and he had flashing uh, rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. And before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills bowed, his ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. And then he talks, uh, remembers God's judgment upon Egypt during uh, the Exodus. O Lord, Uh, were you displeased with the rivers? Uh, Speaking of the Nile, were you, it's tributaries, was your anger against the rivers? Uh, Was your wrath against the sea, the Red Sea, that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation, your bow was made quite ready, oaths were sworn uh, over your arrows. And then uh, in in this second uh, part of of verse 9, He begins to refer to the countries that uh, opposed Israel on their way to the promised land and then nations that had to be driven out in, in the conquest of the promised land. And so he remembers all of that season in their history. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. Uh, The overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. Uh, At the weight of your arrows they went and at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation and you trampled the nations in anger you were irresistible in fulfilling your word always in my history god always in the history of your people and you went forth for the salvation of your people for salvation with your uh, anointed you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to the neck uh, say la and then uh, he describes how uh, Babylon will one day be uh, scattered in, in panic you thrust through uh, through with his own arrows the head of his villages they came out like a whirlwind to scatter me their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor and secret you walk through the sea with your horses uh, through the heap of of great waters and then Habakkuk as he continues to think about uh, what this uh, chastening on the, on, by the hands of, of the Babylonians towards Judah. And he could realize there is a really, really severe chastening that is needed. And it's going to be severe. I mean, we talked about it, I think, in the last couple of weeks is in, in, uh, as an aside. But again, it, it has to do with here, where evil and wickedness can become so systemic uh, within a nation uh, even within a, a nation like Judah, made up of God's people, that the only thing that can give a reset to that nation is, some, is a chastening that is as serious as this. How is God going to get them uh, back to worshiping Him so He can bring a Savior into the world through their bloodline? And, he, and, and it isn't like... Um, it, 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 when God chooses, I find that when He chastens me, He, uh, well, I always deserve it, but it never goes beyond what, what, I, what I need. And, and so when He chastens me, I, I always assume, because He's so full of mercy, so full of grace, so many things He could chasten me for, and He doesn't. He just gets my attention and I, and I confess my sin to Him. But I know how gracious that he is, and and so when we see the kind of judgment that's going to come on them through the the Babylonians, it's a realization of the fact that every bit of this was going to be necessary to reclaim the hearts of the Jewish people and to reestablish God's plans in the midst of them. And, and so the reaction that he has again, he spoke about it a little bit earlier, he speaks about now uh, the physical reaction to hearing this, knowing that this is the truth, and he said, when I heard, my body trembled, he said, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones. I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. When he thinks about it, he, he just, uh, it, 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 it affects him physically both inside uh, and out. Uh, the impact that it has uh, uh, upon him. And uh, that he can't hide. He can't just say, Man, that's going to really be hard. And where can you get a good cup of coffee in this town? Uh, He's he's really impacted uh, by it. But he doesn't stop with his his fear here. Uh, He moves on into faith in verse 17. And he surrenders to God and to God's purposes. And he said, though the fig tree may not blossom, and that word though is is significant, uh, nor fruit on the vines, Uh, Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In an agrarian society, that is the description of starvation. That is the description of uh, a very, very deep... um, uh, denial of, uh, of these kind of resources. And he knows all of this is coming with the siege works of the Babylonians. And so he says, no matter what happens in the fulfillment of your word here, he says, yet I will rejoice in the, fa- in the work that it will do among God's people. Now there's an element of that, but that's not where joy is found as messy as this is going to get, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So he describes what is going to happen to Judah, but those first two words of verse 18 are worth circling. He said, yet I. And he is a godly, a member of the godly remnant among God's people, living in, in a nation that is destined for the direst uh, uh, chastisement at the hand of God. And yet, in the midst of that, he says, I know that no one can take my relationship away from me with what's going to happen. You will be the source of my joy, Uh, not anything else. In, in, in my life because everything else is going to be uh, gone and of course uh, uh, God is with us whatever the circumstances of the world uh, becomes nobody can touch that in our lives His present His active presence His blessed presence and the Lord God He says is my strength and that my is important He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. No matter how rocky things get, no matter how topsy-turvy, Uh, the foundation of the world or uh, by virtue of the circumstances no matter how many people stumble no matter how many people fall no matter how many people are overthrown by what the Babylonians are going to do as a member of God's remnant he differentiates himself from all of them and it doesn't mean that difficulty isn't going to come doesn't come to the remnant But they're not in that difficulty without God. And they're not in that difficulty without stability. Without God keeping us stable in that circumstance. And so he talks about... Uh, having deer's feet and God being uh, making him walk on my, uh, on my high, hill, high uh, hills. And so he'll give me strength and he will be the stability that I need no matter what happens in this world. And then he closes it to the chief priest uh, with my strained instruments. And so there is the uh, idea that maybe Habakkuk was a Levite and maybe even among the kind of the the musicians related to uh, the temple, and that he then issued this to then be uh, put to uh, song. And so we see a progression through here uh, where uh, a very righteous, godly person is faced with circumstances that creates real confusion uh, in their life, Over why God is handling things the way that He is, and why He doesn't do what I think He should do, and that that path from the confusion to a place of peace, and that's what happens in the course of of Habakkuk, is is a list of several things that I just wrote have written down. Not just to go into our in the head, but for some of us that might be in that place tonight, to have them recorded, so you can go through them on your own tonight. For perspective later on. The first thing we see with Habakkuk is he, he takes his confusion to the Lord in prayer. And, and, then, uh, and then the second thing that is important is to listen to God's answer. And, and the answer that God gives us, New Testament uh, Christians, is the answer that He gives us in His Word. And find out what does God's Word say about this kind of a situation in the life of a Christian. And then claim that and hold on to that and and trust in that. And then to know that He has told me when He stops speaking to me and giving me more revelation about the situation and His ways. Know that He has told me all that is good for me to know in this situation And and now he sees that the very best thing I can do is walk by faith. Take what I do know, and what I do know is enough to then trust in him, and trust in him for what I don't know. And then to take actual time to remember his faithfulness in our lives. The long history of faithfulness that each of our lives is, is marked by. And then to surrender to God's will, and then to commit to God's will knowing that whatever it is, He'll be faithful to keep His promises to us in the middle of those circumstances. That He will carry us through this difficulty into the glorious thing that He is doing, but we can't see that clearly yet. you're, You're just like me. We're all like one another in that We've all been in trials and been in situations where we just desperately wanted out of them. Just desperately. If it was in, under my control, I'd have been out of them in a second. And yet, God doesn't take us out of it. And then, as we see Him work His way through the situation, and we see what He was doing that we could not see, we, we, uh, we would... Um, There's nothing that anybody could pay us to take that experience away from us and what we learned about God in preparation for heaven and walking with him now. And so what Habakkuk went through is something that we all go through. Uh, Maybe not the overthrow of a nation, but lots of circumstances that happen within our life. And that's a helpful progression that we see through this. Now let's stand together and uh, we'll pray. But before we pray, just let me invite you, if you are here today and this evening and you are not a Christian, uh, today's the day for you to be born again and become a Christian. We'll be up in front after the service. We'd love to meet you and we'd love to pray with you to become a Christian and begin a relationship with God uh, this evening. And if you need prayer for anything in your life this evening, uh, we would love to pray uh, for you as well. Father, thank You for, as we read Your Word, there is... Well, who could know us uh, like this except our Maker? Except the One who lives inside of our hearts? And um, who could speak so clearly to what we face in life except uh, someone who knows us in the way that You know us? We thank You for this book of Habakkuk and and the honesty of Habakkuk, Your grace and Your patience uh, with him. in in his questions, and and then the wisdom of where you let off, and then uh, where you make us walk by faith, because you know that is the best thing, and, and we see this. We've seen it in our own lives, and we just thank you that no matter what happens in our lives, we'll always have you to be our strength and to be our stability. You've always been that, Lord. Then we face something new and we doubt it. And we know that what you uh, always have been, you will always be in our lives. And thank you for that reminder tonight. It's this little room that we're in here in this little speck called Modesto, California. We just say thank you for being our God. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring about us the way that you do. And Jesus, you are a very, very good shepherd, and we are grateful to you as well. And we pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Lucy, would you close us?